It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Unwired, a bare bones look at the fake news narratives that follow the white rabbit wherever it may lead. Hello and welcome to Unwired, episode 32 for November 16th, 2021. I'm Jim Pyers, the narrative slayer, transmitting from the People's Republic of Arizona, FEMA Region 9, in a nondescript bunker somewhere under Lake Pleasant. We're going to get you started today with Clip of the Day, and this is from Joe Rogan and Adam Curry. This is the Zuby 20-point list. Enjoy. Points. Do you mind if, and the express- do you mind if, if we have Jamie bring up Zuby's 20 points? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Please take a look. I you, love Zuby. We're, we're, yeah. talking about this, we're talking about this exact same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. This guy is smart. He really nailed it with this. I mean, he has the 20 points, and every it's all that we've mm-hmm. talked about in the past you know, hour or so. Is all about well, Zuby's all about personal accountability and hard work, and you know he's just a, he's a very intelligent, thoughtful person. You've had him on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what what is going on with these groups of people is a lot of people they feel disenchanted, they feel disconnected from society. All right, twenty things I've learned or had confirmed about humanity during the pandemic. One, most people would rather be in the majority than be right. That's true. Right? Ding, ding, ding. That's really good. Right? Two, at least 20% of the population has strong authoritarian tendencies, which will emerge under the right conditions. You Bam. just saw that. That's exactly what we're talking Three, mm-hmm. fear of death is only rivaled by the fear of social disapproval. The That's latter could one. be stronger. Uh, Bam. Right. Bam, Amazing. right? Amazing. Yep. Brilliant. Four, propaganda is just as effective in the modern day as it was 100 years ago. Access to limited information has not made the average person any wiser. It's made propaganda easier. This is so good. Mm-hmm. Five, anything and everything can and will be politicized by the media, government, and those who trust them. Perfect. Six, many politicians and large corporations will gladly sacrifice human lives if it is conducive to their political and financial aspirations. No arguments here. <laughs> Seven, most people believe the government acts in the best interest of the people, even many who are vocal critics of the government. Yep. There's probably a lot, a lot of truth in that. Eight, once they have made up their mind, most people would rather rather to commit to being wrong than admit they were wrong. I think he, he put a two in there. He said, would yeah. rather commit to, to being, being wrong, wrong than admit they were wrong. Than admit they're wrong, right. Um, nine, humans can be trained and conditioned quickly and relatively easily to significantly alter their behaviors for better or worse. True. Mm-hmm. Ten, when sufficiently frightened, most people will not only accept authoritarianism, but demand it. Shall I do the, the second ten for you, Joe? Sure. All right. Eleven, people who are dismissed as conspiracy theorists are often well-researched and simply ahead of the mainstream narrative. Lab leak theory. Perfect. True. Twelve, most people value safety and security more than freedom and liberty, even if said safety is merely an illusion. Well, that's an old Perfect. one. We all know that one. Uh, Thirteen, uh, hedonic adaption occurs in both directions, and once inertia sets in, it is difficult to get people back to normal. 
Fucking A, right? Fucking A. 14th, a significant percentage of people thoroughly enjoy being subjugated. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to put a percentage on that. Yeah. 15, the science has evolved into a secular pseudo-religion for millions of people in the West. This religion has little to do with science itself. Nailed it. 16, most people care more about looking like they are doing the right thing rather than actually doing the right thing. Hello. Yeah. 17, politics, the media, science, and the healthcare industries are all corrupt to varying degrees. Scientists and doctors can be bought as easily as politicians. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. 100%. 18, if you make people comfortable enough, they will not revolt. You can keep millions docile as you strip their rights by giving them money, food, and entertainment. Give them bread and circus. It mm. goes back to the Romans. Uh, 19, modern people are overly complacent and lack vigilance when it comes to defending their own freedoms from government overreach. Mm. Let me just check, let me just look at that again. Modern people are overly complacent and lack vigilance when it comes... Yes. I think people are very, very yeah. poor at defending their own yeah. freedoms. And 20, it is easier to fool a person than to convince them they have been fooled. Bonus thoughts, 21. Most people are fairly Clip of the day. All right. Thanks, Joe. And thanks, Adam. Excellent recantation of Zuby's 20 points of American insanity. So that is our clip of the day. Um, I want to thank all the supporters to date and the many donations. Apologize for the long layoff. Um, as with all of you, um, it's been incredibly crazy. Been managing uh, multiple roles in um, multiple states <laughs> across uh, multiple narratives while we were all uh, fighting against what's what's happening here. Stolen elections, uh, fake pandemics, and uh, basically schools trying to run our kids' lives and our lives and uh, all the myriad of legal issues associated with that. And I'm, I've got a whole story on that for another show. But... Uh, I am the anti-narrative, the narrative slayer, and I'm here to uh, to help you battle a lot of those things. And uh, today's show is going to be about what I, who I consider the ultimate narrative slayer, uh, Thomas Sowell. And I'm going to tell you a lot about Thomas, uh, Doctor Sowell, as as the show goes on and. Actually, I've done the best job on the show notes uh, ever in the 32 shows uh, we've done. This this is really going to be worth uh, hitting the website, uh, wiresworld.net, and checking out the show notes uh, that I've posted. There's really some incredible links to Dr. Soul's books, his, um, his quotes, um, and there's a... In, in a bunch of video, bunch of content um, that's going to outline his valuable contributions to conversations that have been going on for over 90 years. Um, you may have, you may not be familiar with Dr. Soul. You'll never see him or hear from him on any of the MSM stations. But if there are some uh, places, the Hoover Institute, um, there's a lot of YouTube 
content, surprisingly, that's been left up. And he used to get uh, invited or hauled in front of Congress, um, especially during his younger years, probably 60s, 70s, 80s. He's been quite famous for his encounters with the federal government. But I'm going to give you some background on uh, Mr. Sowell today. So Thomas Sowell was uh, born in North Carolina. He grew up in Harlem. Due to uh, financial issues and some pretty tough home conditions, he's, he was a high school dropout and uh, joined the Marine Corps. Uh, he, he served in the Marine Corps during the uh, Korean War. And uh, was interesting because once in the military, he had some experience in photography and he ended up being a photographer um, for the Marines and uh, d- during his uh, years of service. Uh, he was, after his honorable discharge, um, he, he, he came back um, to Washington, D.C., went to night school, uh, I think he went at uh, Howard University and you know got his undergraduate degree but he was so talented and he did so well on his exams that uh, two professor two professors helped him gain admission to Harvard where he graduated magna cum laude in uh, 1958 uh, with a bachelor of arts degree in economics he then earned a master's degree from Columbia the following year it's funny because as a young man, he um, he claimed he was a Marxist uh, during his 20s. Um, and this is according to to Dr. Soule. And um, one of his earliest publications was uh, was about that. So his uh, his experience um, in working in the federal government is what changed his uh, thought process and during his work there, he, he was working on uh, some minimum wage. Sorry, I needed a drink. He's working on some minimum wage uh, data and reporting analysis. And um, essentially what he figured out was studying the patterns of the data, he began to figure out that the government employees who were in charge of ministering these minimum wage laws was were really more interested about their own jobs than helping out poor people or helping out those who were just starting out in work and working at the, the lower rates. Um, after that, uh, he received a doctorate in philosophy and a degree in economics from the University of Chicago in 68. And uh, <coughs> he initially had uh, chosen Columbia University to study under uh, the very well-known economist George Stigler, uh, who later uh, who, who went on to receive a Nobel Prize in economics. When uh, Dr. Sowell learned that Stigler had moved on to the uh, University of Chicago, he followed him there, and that's how he, he ended up there 
Um, Dr. Soule is also known for his work in conjunction with uh, Milton Friedman, another great mind and economist of the late 20th century. And we're going to play some, uh, some of those quotes uh, and some of those segments from, from Milton Friedman that, uh, that Thomas Sowell participated in. So to get to the meat of today, I, I'm going to pretend I'm doing an interview with Dr. Sowell. That would be a dream to sit across from him and uh, be able to ask him some questions. But since we can't do that, because uh, <laughs> he probably wouldn't uh, know who I am, I would, uh, I'm going to try to do it a little bit uh, different way and just using his words from the past 30, 40 years that we've recorded and captured uh, for posterity's sake and play those for you so you get a taste of the mind of Thomas Sowell. And um, I would posit that he's one of the most brilliant minds of our of, of our time, and uh, he's he's able to really um, speak in very straightforward terms that pretty much anyone under can understand. I.e., me, I can understand. So, I think if I can, uh, surely everyone else can. So, um, let's uh, let's go into some of the questions for Doctor Soul today. So first. Um, First one we're going to play is the vision of the anointed. Who's making our decisions for us? You know, when we experience and see events occurring like Davos and COP26, where basically a bunch of elites fly in and pontificate on what they're going to do with our money, um, it's, it's interesting to get other perspectives um, and just maybe those folks don't have our best interest at heart. So let's let's hear what Thomas Sowell thinks about the elites. So, and I'm going to have to be adjusting the volume on some of these things. So um, you know, bear with me at the very beginning, and I'll get it uh, I'll get it sorted out as we go along. Thomas Sowell on the anointed. The, the vision of the anointed. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting title. Who are the anointed? They are the elite in the media, in, the, in politics. All of those who think that third parties ought to be making people's decisions for them. The subtitle is self-congratulation as a basis for social policy. In other words, people who think that everything that's wrong with the, the country is due to the fact that other people are just not as smart as they are. And if only they could, you know, or people like them could take over and make our decisions, we'd be so much better off. But in the early, in early America, didn't this... <laughs> We'd be so much better off. Yeah, wouldn't we? So the, the anointed, um, they do believe in, and uh, I think in some instances they're doing the right things for us. But let's just look at some of the things these anointed ones have put in place for us. And let's hear... Let's hear Thomas talk about some of these uh, systems that have been put in place, some of these projects, programs, however you want to describe them, that are run by the government. And let's start with, 
you know, maybe the worst one ever, the welfare system. And let's see what uh, Thomas Sowell thinks about the welfare system in the United States. So rotting away the fabric of society is not supported, except perhaps by you, would you back that phrase? Absolutely. So? Yeah. Uh, you're saying, you're talking about the figures or the other parts of society. What the welfare system and other kinds of governmental programs are doing is paying people to fail. Insofar as they fail, they receive the money. Insofar as they succeed, even to a moderate extent, the money is taken away. This is even extended into the school systems, where they will give money to schools with low scores. Uh, insofar as the school improves its education, the money is taken away so that you are subsidizing people to fail in their own private lives and become more dependent upon the handouts. We have expectations built in today about... <laughs> okay. Paid to fail. I love it. That's a huge problem, obviously. And, and so Dr. Soule's position was that it's not logical to build a system based on failure, rewarding failure. It actually should be the other way around. So I, I think that was really well said, and it's a great point uh, about these types of, of governmental programs and then what they ultimately <clears throat> do to those participating in the program. And then one, as, as we continue down this, you know, governmental program, uh, then you kind of kind of look at uh, Dr. Soul's point of view on affirmative action. And you're going to see that these things are related. And also we're going to talk a little bit about predetermination, predeterminism, uh, because there's a lot of assumptions built into these programs. Uh, since failure is the reward, well, the reason these programs are built this way is because they're assuming there's a certain amount of failure uh, among the people, among the, the society. And so does that make sense to build that failure in? So let's hear Dr. Soule. Uh, the main thing is not, is not to keep people out of jail because they're one race or another, because when you do that, the people who are going to suffer the most will be the black community. Where are you on affirmative action? Against. Why? Well, you can only do one of two things. You can either just uh, judge people individually or you can judge them by groups. This whole notion that you're going to come out with a compromise, I would defy anybody to come out with a compromise on that. You're going to do one of those two things. Now, you can pretend to be doing other things, but that's all you're going to do. That's, those are the only two choices you really have in the end. Uh, again, the people who are the anointed, think of this as a symbolic issue, and they want to be on the side of the angels. They don't ask, what are the consequences? Now, I've studied affirmative action programs around the world. One of the consequences is that those people who are more fortunate in the group that has the preferences, those people take the lion's share of the preferences. Very often, those at the other end of the scale, poorer people, uh, actually fall further behind. That's true of blacks here. It's true of Malays in Malaysia. It's true of various groups in India. And there are reasons for that. Uh, you know, you, you can say you must have certain proportions. Nothing is easier than for an employer who, would, who might otherwise locate, let's say, in the Bronx, to locate out in Provo, Utah, where he will be not near any black people, and therefore he will never have lawsuits, and the jobs will be in Provo, and people will wonder why don't people you know, uh, here have more jobs. Uh, 
it never seems to occur to liberals that other people are not blocks of wood. That when you set up certain incentives, they will react to them in certain ways. And when they do that, the result may be the opposite of what you set out to do. <laughs> Indeed. So again, uh, on the similar theme of paying people to fail, uh, by putting up certain roadblocks, uh, you not only are supporting this idea that you know, you're rewarded for failure, but you're also rewarded by working around those roadblocks. And then this, is, this becomes problematic because that's not, that's not uh, the, the, the consequences of those programs are really not uh, foreseen. Um, again, we'll, we'll continue on this track. We're going to look. So we've kind of tied in this idea of getting paid to fail that these government programs are, are mostly built upside down um, based on a very academic approach, not a, not a, re, not, not a realistic approach. And um, they're based on some faulty assumptions. And here's one of them. It's predeterminism. It's incredible the, the way you start the story in the middle, uh, as if there's a predestined amount of poverty, a predestined amount of unemployment, and that the welfare system is not itself in any way responsible there for that. There is a predestined 20% of the bottom half of the population. I, I have never, uh, well, oh, that's always been true. There's going to be 20% at the bottom. <laughs> it's also true that 20% of the bottom population doesn't have to be living on the government and ruled by the government. You mentioned, for example, the female-headed household. Many of those, in addition to the, the grown woman who has all the, all the kids, are teenage pregnancies. Uh, there's not a predestined amount of teenage pregnancies. I grew up in an era when people, and particularly blacks, were a lot poorer than today, faced a lot more discrimination than today, and in which the teenage pregnancy rate was a lot lower than today. I don't believe there is a predestined amount of teenage pregnancy, a predestined amount of husband desertion. Uh, the, uh, Gutman has done a study of the black family showing that this whole notion that this is, the black family has always been disintegrating, that, that is nonsense. That his, his studies go up to 1925, the great bulk of black families were intact, two-parent families up through 1925, and going all the way back through the era of slavery. So it is now only within our own time that we suddenly see this inevitable tragedy which the welfare system says it's going to rush in to solve, for which it is itself a part. We're talking about a very small group. Yeah. Wow. I love that. He's really, um, the woman here is arguing for these social programs and um, not very well because the, the result of the social programs, as Dr. Soule points out, has been the disintegration of the family unit, has got the man out of the house and into the streets and has left the, the mother to raise the children. And all these things are rewarded. Failure is rewarded. Um, the welfare state pays those for failing, for failing to keep the family together, for failure to um, have, you know, maintain that family unit. And in fact, it's rewarded um, when, the, when the father wasn't in the home. So if they if they uh, if these poor people wanted that money, they had to essentially split up the family in order to receive it. This seems um, evil to me. Uh, 
So, Dr. Soul, you know, he continues down this, um, this track of attempting to educate other policymakers. And he's been in front of the He's been in front of Congress multiple times. We can maybe find and play a couple of clips where he's he's engaged with the current president. Uh, but in a in a sense, he 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 tries to look at both sides, and I think here's a good example of that as he talks about the trade off between uh, safety and freedom, and the and the and also. The idea that the government is always pushing solutions, but uh, maybe according to Dr. Soul, there are no solutions. So let's have a, uh, have a listen. Net balance, it was as safe as the rest of them. Are you saying there are no solutions to our problems as Americans? There are no solutions to anybody's problems. There are trade-offs. You know, um, safety is a classic example. Uh, Every, every, every year, so many hundreds of thousands of people are uh, vaccinated against uh, measles, smallpox, those kinds of things. Now, this saves an several hundred lives, uh, it's estimated. It also causes brain damage to about 30 kids a year. Now, there are no solutions in that. There are just trade-offs. What about crime? Take crime as an issue. Can we solve? <laughs> now, I'll, I do want to make the point, many of these conversations were decades ago. So you're hearing him in many different points of time. And these are uh, called out in the show notes. So you'll be able to you'll, you'll be able to see the dates and times when he was making these comments, which is actually not even that relevant. <clears throat> if you listen to what he just said, it's it's incredibly timely given the push here for mandate mandated vaccines and he's clearly describing something we're all facing right now which is this safety and trade-off uh, for a solution uh, perspective and that is sure you can take a drug that might have some net positive effect on some people in some cases but that same drug will also have a net negative effect on some people in uh, some cases. So the, what he's saying is there's, there is no 100% safe solution. It's a trade-off. And the individuals are going to have to make that risk assessment uh, on their own. It sh definitely should not be made for them. And I think as you listen to Thomas Sowell, he's, he's clearly making that distinction that um, you can't expect the government to come solve uh, problems with solutions because no one has solutions. You only make trade-offs. Um, and then last, you know, given, given where we are on all this, I want to, um, <laughs> I want to end his uh, interview with kind of where he saw American go, uh, America headed. And again, you'll be very interested to see the time frame on these comments. Uh, this is quite a while ago. But, um, you know, it's kind of, a, it's, it's a when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And um, 
and and the decline of ancient Rome uh, as they as they were once a great empire. Um, there's a lot of parallels about what's going on in the United States today as we fall as as a, a former great empire, and it's um, it's pretty telling. So. Let's have a listen about Rome. One final time from Dismantling America. To follow Rome, one of the greatest civilizations of all time as it degenerated and fractured, is especially painful in view of the parallels to what is happening in America in our own times. Close quote. Yeah. What are the parallels that are most striking to you? The internal loss of confidence, uh, that we're not prepared to stand up and defend uh, ourselves, I mean, there are all kinds of small signs and large signs, but that we have to accommodate uh, people who move here. You know, the old saying was that when in Rome, do as the Romans do. The new one is, when in Rome, tell the Romans what to do. Mm. <laughs> yeah, when in Rome, tell the Romans what to do. Anybody, uh, anybody think that sounds familiar? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. So that's just a little taste of Dr. Soul over the, over the last uh, 20, 30 years. I do want to, um, <clears throat> Dr. Soul was well known for um, his collaborations with uh, Milton Friedman. And I do want to play uh, just one clip from Milton Friedman that I, that I thought fits into uh, sort of the anti-narrative that was being exposed by Dr. Soul that, you know, these govern governments good for you, governments out to help you. Uh, I don't think there's much evidence for that. And um, let's hear what uh, Milton Friedman has to say, who's also um, an amazing economist in his own right and was a good colleague of Dr. Soul, Dr. Thomas Soul. So here we go. Milton Friedman. We have become increasingly dependent on government. We have surrendered power to government. Nobody has taken it from us. It's our doing. The results, monumental government spending. Much of it wasted, little of it, going to the people whom we would like to see helped. Burdensome taxes, high inflation, a welfare system under which neither those who receive help nor those who pay for it are satisfied. Trying to do good with other people's money simply has not worked. Uh, yes. Ding, ding, ding on that one. And why does that not work? Because... No, one, no one's as responsible with somebody else's money as they are with their own money. Very difficult to... Um, it's very difficult to make an arg a good argument against that. So, uh, thank you, Milton Friedman. All right, now I'm going to jump into some of his quotes, uh, Thomas Sowell's quotes. I think there's some real fun ones. These are going to all be in the show notes, so you can go back if you if you miss anything, but these are some of my favorites. Um, the next time academics tell you how important diversity is, 
Ask how many Republicans there are in the sociology department. That's Thomas Sowell in 98. Yeah, good question. Um, here's another good one. What do you call it when someone steals someone else's money secretly? Well, that's theft. What do you call it when someone takes someone else's money openly by force? Robbery. What do you call it when a politician takes someone else's money in taxes and gives it to someone who is more likely to vote for him? Social justice, Thomas Sowell. Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> that was a good one. Let's see. Oh, here's a current one, which I found interesting. He wasn't a big fan of Joe Biden, and they, uh, they dueled a few times in Congress. But whether Barack Obama is simply incompetent as a president or has some hidden agenda to undermine the country, at home and abroad, he has nearly everything he needs to to ruin America, including a fool for a vice president, Thomas Sowell. I particularly enjoyed that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, here's another good one. Um, it's so easy to be wrong and to persist in being wrong when the costs of being wrong are paid by others. Thomas Sowell. And uh, <laughs> this is one I particularly appreciate. There's usually one, uh, there's usually only a limited amount of damage that can be done by dull, dull or stupid people. However, for creating truly monumental disaster, you need people with high IQs. <laughs> ding, ding. Uh, another interesting one to make you think. A friend from India told me that a countryman of his said, I want to go to America. I want to see a country where poor people are fat. Quote, unquote. Thomas Sowell. In a, in a democracy, we always have had to worry about the ignorance of the uneducated. Today, we have to worry about the ignorance of the people with college degrees. Thomas Sowell. There is nothing so bad that politics cannot make it worse. Thomas Sowell. Intellect is not wisdom. That's... Really a good one. Um, so those are just a few. He has so many great quotes and interviews. And those will all be in the show notes uh, that I've printed out here. Um, so as, as we wrap up, I do want to point out a few uh, of his books. I think... I've got a, a list of his books on on the website. I want to also share the kind of list of resources. Uh, basically, most of these are available. I, I kind of did a quick search on Amazon. You can find quite a few of his writings. But some of his famous ones, uh, you know, 
one of the uh, one of the my favorites is just called Basic Economics, and it's a common sense guide to the economy. It's in the fifth edition now, so this this is one of his early books, uh, and it's it's really helpful. Uh, someone who's just starting in uh, economics or or just wants to understand it uh, very basically. Uh, I really en enjoyed that. Um, he also has done a lot of books on race and economics. Uh, he's done he's done works on uh, philosophy and economics. He's a lot of uh, good, interesting um, viewpoints on race and culture. And uh, let's see. Yeah, Intellectuals in Society is one I would also recommend. That was from 2010. So that one might be uh, up there in my all-time favorites. And um, he, he also has, there, there's, there's some books that are a collection of his essays and works. And um, so there's some good overviews. The Thomas Sowell Reader is a good collection of his writings. And um, and most recently, if you look up uh, the Hoover Institute, there's a bunch of content and videos where he's being interviewed um, as part of the, uh, shows from the Hoover the Hoover Institute. Well, all right, people. I want to thank everybody uh, for listening. It's a quick show today. But uh, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time is just put Thomas Sowell on your radar um, and introduce you to him if you have if if you don't know who he is. It's definitely um, worth spending some time to li to listen to the man and his work. And um, yeah, if Thomas Sowell, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> one can one can hope. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again. Visit wiresworld.net. You can donate to the show there. You can read the show notes. You can uh, listen to the archive of shows and you can see the blog where I post every now and then different uh, articles and, and my thoughts. All right. Well, thank you very much. And that's it for the show today. Uh, look forward to uh, talking again and I'll be back.
Like a holiday